So I've had friends tell me that they're emotional eaters. And I thought, um, I don't think I am. And then last night I was all upset at my kids and after correcting them, marched straight into my room, grabbed a piece of chocolate and shoved it in my mouth. And then I thought, huh, maybe there's more to this than I realized. <laughs> so all of us can, uh, can feel the impact of emotions driving our eating choices because that's only human. Well, in today's episode, Melissa Rolfi, a new guest and new friend of mine, shares from an expert position. She's a life coach and a health and wellness coach, and she talks specifically to this topic of emotional eating. We address how to recognize if you're an emotional eater, what to do about it, how it can impact your spiritual life, and how it can actually support your relationship with the Lord when you take the time to address it. So this is actually a really great episode, and I'm excited. Let me know what you guys think about it, and don't forget to share it with a friend. Let's cue up that intro music. Hi, and you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenilee Samuel. Before I bring on today's guest, I wanted to introduce her to you real quickly. Melissa Rolfs is a new friend of mine who I met through a group of, pod, of Christian podcasters, and she is a certified holistic health and life coach who helps busy women break free from sugar and stress or emotional eating so they can be calm, confident, and in control. She's committed to empowering women to break free from dieting, emotional eating, and self-image issues so they can ditch the diet mentality and feel empowered in their own skin to be who God made them to be. She graduated from the Health Coach Institute as a holistic health and life coach in 2018 and is the proud owner of her business, Free to Be Coaching. She is a proud alumni from Purdue University, and she lives in Tucson with her husband, Chad, and her two kiddos. Please welcome Miss Melissa to the show. So excited to have you on the show. And last week I talked with my listeners about being a feeler and how to use their feeling nature to lean into the Holy Spirit. And this week you are an expert on talking about emotional eating. So I feel like they go hand in hand. I'm so pumped to have you. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. <laughs> now, are you a podcaster as well? I'm a baby podcaster. I started one in December. Oh, okay. What's it called? <laughs> Mondays with Melissa. So I do mine on Mondays. <laughs> oh, look at that. Perfect. Okay. So, okay. So you guys, you can go check out Mondays with Melissa and um, congratulations. I'm excited for your new podcast outlet. That's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So Melissa, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a uh, health and wellness coach, you said? Yeah, I'm a holistic health and life coach, and I really focus on helping women break free from sugar and stress or emotional eating so that they can be calm and confident and free to be who God made them to be. That's amazing. So now what was your story that pulled you into this journey of honing in on that? It's my story, really. I mean, I started as a little girl hiding food in my room. I was probably eight and... Um, handled stress or things I didn't want to deal with by turning to sugar. And we had some little rodents that pooped on the bed and told on me and I got in trouble for that. Um, but this really kind of using food as a coping mechanism or to not handle feelings or just to kind of handle life um, really began in my childhood and it carried through 
high school and college and my adult years. And then really once we had children, I was like, you know what, I probably, probably need to, to get some healing around this. So that's really wise. Now, thinking back to your childhood, and I ask this because a lot of my listeners are um, young mothers. And so do you feel like how you were raised nurtured that turning to sugar or was it just something you did? Absolutely. I think it was um, nurture and I think it was modeled. So my dad died when I was two. And I think my mom in her grief also turned to sugar. So I think it was modeled, but I think it also was because of the overwhelm of my childhood and not knowing how to handle certain situations and things that I was dealt. Um, So really just kind of using that as my vice. Wow. Okay. So now go into a little bit of like even scientifically and biologically, why sugar? I I understand a little bit how the brain responds, but help people understand that so they don't think it's just this weird mystery that's like (laughs) voodoo-y. No, it's not a weird mystery at all. So it is, um, actually we have dopamine centers in our brain that are the, they're reward motivated. And so sugar is addictive. It's actually eight times more addictive than cocaine. And so when we reward those dopamine centers with sugar in this example, Um, it needs more and more to create that response. And so because sugar is addictive and because of the dopamine centers, usually it just ends up being an increase over increase over time because you need more to create that feeling from the brain. Right. And dopamine is the hormone that makes us feel good, feel happy, feel in charge of life, right? Got it. (laughs) So that would make sense then when people go through experiences where they feel stressed, feel overwhelmed, whatever, their brain is like, I need help. I need happiness. I need joy. And the body just recognizes it gets that quickly from sugar and it creates those cravings. That's a part of it. And I think too, like God made our body so amazingly because they're always looking for balance. And so we can also create those cravings by how much and certain type of foods that we eat. So we, um, as a coach, I look at food and polarity. So we have expansive and contractive, and this might be sweet on one end and this might be salty on the other. And so if you're having too much salt, your body's going to try to balance itself out by going to the sweet. And so it can kind of create this, I don't know, relationship, if you will, of, you know, I, I need this expansive so that I need to contract as well. So our bodies are always trying to balance this out. Mm, that makes sense. And that makes sense why when we've had a really savory dinner, we crave dessert afterwards. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So what would be some indicators then for people who are like, um, I don't think I'm an emotional eater. You know, like when I'm upset, if I'm emotionally upset, for example, I don't have an appetite. So I don't want to eat. Um, however, I have noticed if I'm stressed, I want chocolate. <laughs> So how do people recognize if they fall into that category of emotional eating? I love this question because I worked with a client once and she did not resonate with the term emotional eater at all. However, during, you know, working together, we discovered that she would crave cheese and crackers at certain times of her day. And so we did a little digging and I said, when are you craving the cheese and crackers? What's going on? How are you feeling? And we discovered that she was always craving the cheese and crackers when she was stressed. So I asked her, what is the significance of the cheese and crackers? What does that that provide for you? What does that symbolize? What does that give you? And she said, when I was little, we used to have 
gatherings with the neighbors and family and friends and my family would get together and we would have the most fun and we would have joy and happiness and peace and there was always cheese and crackers so she found herself gravitating towards the cheese and crackers when she was looking for that feeling wow. so i think emotional eating can be using food to look for a feeling as she did for me i used food to step down my feelings i didn't want to deal with the anxiety and the stress and the overwhelm so i'll just eat sugar push it down and not have to deal with it yeah. so i think it's really looking for food to fill or give you a feeling that maybe you don't know how to work through, you don't know what to do with it, and really using food for something beyond fuel and nourishment for your body. Wow. So I feel like some people might go into this conversation feeling like if I'm an emotional eater, that there's something wrong with me, or there's maybe some sense of shame, or maybe I'm broken. I have a lot of baggage and that's why I would be driven to eat like this. Is that true? Or how do we kind of weed through the, the shame element that might try to pop up? Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think there is a lot of shame associated with that. Um, but I don't think there's anything to be, you know, shameful of or have that stigma with. Because the thing is, we all have situations in our lives because we live in a fallen, broken world. And we just have things that we have the opportunity to journey through and be, you know, healed from by the Lord and just really kind of refined by. Um, but it's absolutely not your fault. I think food is legal. I think it's socially acceptable. I think it's a really easy go-to for people. And so there's nothing wrong with you <laughs> at all. Um, so please don't, don't feel or take that on because that's a lie. Yeah. And I feel like too, even if, even if someone has a happy, good life, like, and they're healthy, they've done a lot of emotional work and they feel like they're just a really healthy individual that, that knows the condition of their heart. You can have a week where your to-do list is twice as long and it's just straight up stressful or it's your PMS week and just the hormones are everywhere. Right. Yes. Yeah. I would imagine. Absolutely. Or maybe you didn't get enough sleep. There are so many things that can impact us because we are holistic beings. That's how God designed us. And so I think we do ourselves and the Lord a disservice when we just look at one piece and not the whole picture. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I love that because I feel like that right there helps to kind of strip away any sense of, oh, you're an emotional eater if you have a lot of baggage because I don't think that helps the conversation at all. Um, okay. So I do know just from my own study, I love to study how the brain works and the body and, you know, we're very holistic here at our house as well. And I do know that cravings can be driven by um, nutritional deficiencies as well. How do you see that partner with emotional eating? I think it's kind of both and I can tell a little bit of my journey. Um, so I think for me, because of trauma from my childhood and going towards sugar, maybe to soothe um, that carried through my life, through my, you know, adolescent adolescence into college into married life and into motherhood. And as a result, I was very deficient in a lot of things because I wasn't taking care of myself. And so I think because of that, that combination Plus my learned behavior of emotional eating, I think it kind of worked against me. And so I would be hungry and I would eat things that I thought would, would satisfy, but they, they wouldn't because I wasn't getting the nutritional value that I needed, to be honest. It was um, a lot of processed food. It was not really, I wasn't getting enough vegetables and fruits and the healthy foods that nourish us. Um, so I think the two really work together. And if you are 
an emotional eater, um, you're probably not emotionally eating things like broccoli. <laughs> so you could very well be deficient in vitamins and minerals because of that too. Yeah, that's a really great point. And I noticed now, help me understand this. I noticed that when my boys sit down and I have fed them a well-rounded meal that is like nutritious as opposed to prepackaged or whatever, mm -hmm. they are in a better mood mm -hmm. after mm -hmm. they eat that. And I know the vibration of food, there's there's higher frequencies and really life-giving food and that gives us energy and, and joy and whatever. Why does our brain not associate, hey, carrots make me feel good? <laughs> Why does my brain do that to me? <laughs> I don't know if it's our brains or our taste buds, to be honest with you. Oh, okay. That's fair. Because <laughs> we, as far as habit change goes, if we can change what pleasure is linked to. So, for example, if you are wanting to change your habit around exercise, let's say that, and it feels better to sleep in until 5 a.m., you're more likely going to sleep in until 5 a.m. unless you reap the rewards of waking up at 5 a.m. to exercise. So I think it's almost we need to change the way that we think and that we operate and kind of, you know, connect the taste buds and the, the behavior with the brain. Mm, like reprogramming. Absolutely. Neuroplasticity. <laughs> yes, I love neuroplasticity. So I do too. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. So I'm reading this book called The 21 Day Miracle. The author is a friend of mine, but he talks about how in 21 days we can master anything in our lives if we're focused and we're intentional about it. And, um, and it makes sense because when I had done a specific cleanse where I had to eat vegetables twice a day, um, like a large amount of vegetables twice a day, I found that after a couple weeks, I was craving vegetables, which before I had been craving sugar. And so you're right. It probably is just about linking new associations to the brain. If I'm having sugar more often than I'm having vegetables, my brain will probably default to sugar. But if I'm having vegetables more often, my brain may default to vegetables. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay, you guys, this is getting very nerdy over here. <laughs> Okay, so then let's get into cravings and tracing down where cravings are coming from. You talk about how you teach your clients how to listen to their bodies and, and lean into that intuition. Can you talk me through that a little bit? Yeah, I really get frustrated and I'm, I'm not going to rant on you. Um, but I, I feel like we just live in a world of one size fits all, right? And so because my neighbor did this program and she had this great result, I'm going to try it. And so we try the program that our neighbor did. It doesn't work for us. We get frustrated. We feel shame. We feel guilt. We feel condemnation. We start this spiral. And we really are not looking at our individuality and the way that God made us. Because what works for one does not work for all. We are all different. We're all unique. And so I think the key is really learn to listen to yourself and your body and the way that the Holy Spirit made you and what he's called you to do and how he's made your body because we're all different and we might have the same DNA, but we're still going to be different because we are different and we're unique. Yeah. That's so, so how do you teach women to pay attention to what their body needs or what their body is saying? I think a large part of it is slowing down and learning to listen. You know, we talk about how to honor your hunger and fullness and how to decipher which foods give you energy versus take away energy because the healthiest food on the planet might be healthy for you, but it might not be healthy for me because we're different. And so it's really a process of stepping back, mm -hmm. slowing down and journaling and really 
learning to decipher what's happening in our body. How are certain foods making us feel? How is our mood? How is our poop? How is, how is our life, our sleep, all of these things impacted by what we're eating? Yeah. So I think, I think from my personal experience, like learning to tune, I was telling you earlier that, you know, I had all four of my babies at home. And before that, I was not, I was not crunchy. I was not holistic. I was not nature minded. You know, I was, you go to the doctor when you're sick, you have your yep. babies in the hospital, you just do what the doctor says. Yep. I was not a self thinker. And, um, when the Lord asked us to have our babies at home, I started learning to pay attention to my body because I didn't have a doctor to tell me what my body was experiencing. And so, you know, in every week of pregnancy, things can be different. And so when I would notice strange things happening in my body, I'd panic a little bit. I'd jump online and be like, what am I supposed to be having this week? You know, and sure enough, they'd be like, oh, this is what's happening this week. So I just began to gain knowledge. Um, but it began to build in me a confidence and an awareness of, the fact that I could discern what was happening in my body. Um, and then of course, you know, I did research. I've, I've had to do that a number of times. If I notice a few bizarre, subtle symptoms in my body, I'll go to Google and be like, what mm -hmm. deficiency causes these symptoms? And I'll kind of track it out. And then I see what, what that says I could be lacking. I look at what I eat. I look at what that's common, what foods that's common in. And I'm like, oh, I don't eat a lot of that food. Maybe I'm deficient in that. And then I'll go supplement. And usually that fixes the problem. So women can begin to listen to their bodies probably in the same way. Like, would you say when they find that they feel like they fail in food choices to then take mental note, what did you eat? And then track it back. How were you feeling when you ate it? And what caused you to feel that way? Were you stressed out from work? Was it your kids? Is that kind of a process you take them through? Absolutely. I'm a big proponent of replacing judgment with curiosity. Because I think really jump on the judgment trap. And that's when the shame and the guilt and the condemnation begins. And we are in this downward spiral. We can't even think about what we ate because we're so focused on what we didn't do right. And it just is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a trap of the enemy, in my opinion. So I think we really need to be aware of how things impact us and replace that judgment with curiosity. Because when we're curious, we can learn so much more and we can understand ourselves so much better and why we do the things that we do. Yeah, that's so good. I love that. And so now whenever, whenever people, let's talk about kind of reinventing. And, and I find that when I've ever had to break free from bad patterns with food, I had a major sweet tooth for a long time, like constant. I was constantly getting cavities. I was constantly struggling with my weight, but then I realized like what sugar does to my body. And I was like, I am literally damaging myself. And so I had to get it under control. And I found that times when I would just go hardcore and take things away, uh, it didn't last. But when I could replace it with a, a healthier substitute, I could maintain long-term success. So how do you help women tackle the rewriting of their relationship to food? I think it's that replacing the judgment with curiosity and acknowledging maybe where our beliefs and our patterns and our habits came from mm -hmm. and offering forgiveness because sometimes we do need to forgive people who have modeled certain things for us or things that we've been taught that we have accepted as truth for ourselves. And maybe we need to forgive ourselves. And so it's really kind of working through this process of where did that come from and replacing 
the lie or the belief that isn't in alignment with who we want to be and or who we want to go, where we want to go going forward and replacing that with truth. And so I think it's like you said as well, not getting into that mindset of, oh, I can't have this, but focusing on what we get to have versus can't have because where the mind goes, the man follows. And the more that we focus on what we can't have, the more we want it. So I think if we can focus on what we get to have, do some healthified swaps, as I like to call them, you know, upgrading for higher quality, healthy versions of things. So you can enjoy that sweetness, but not feel like junk afterwards. Yeah, that's so good. So what were some of the, um, what were some of the substitutes since you said sugar was a big one for you? What were some of the swaps that you made that you felt like helped you be the most successful in transitioning? I'm a big fan of coconut sugar. It's low glycemic, so it's not going to affect your blood sugar the way that regular cane sugar would. Um, so we use that a lot for baking. Um, for coffee, I drink it straight now, but it took me a long time to get there because I'm a latte girl. Um, <laughs> so a nice thing to transition was the liquid stevia. I just found like a drop or two um, really made a nice impact on my coffee. Um, and you can get different flavors. So I'm a big fan of that. I love monk fruit as well. Um, now for chocolate, I do enjoy the Enjoy Life chocolate chips because those are dairy free. They're free of all allergens. So if you have food allergies, those are safe. Um, but there's so many great, like for the food allergy component, like our kids, we don't do gluten or dairy. And so they have cashew milk ice cream, which is so creamy. Like there's so many great upgrades now. Um, but I think just having those, you know, things in place, like when I bake, I use coconut sugar for the coffee. You might use stevia, like just knowing what to replace it with is super helpful. Right. Right. Okay. So now if you're let just just I'm just talking out this question. Yeah. If someone is, is is making swaps for their emotional cravings, is it actually dealing with the emotional craving or no. is it just helping them not hurt themselves so much in the process? I think it's a band-aid. Um, to be honest with you. It it really depends on what people want. Do you want the band-aid or do you want to get to the root of the problem and have that transformation going forward? Is the swaps are just replacing one for another until you get to the core of the issue, in my opinion. Okay. So now how would you walk with someone to, cause I'm, I'm thinking of a specific number of people that I know are like self-confessed emotional eaters. Um, walk through the process that if my, if I sat down with you and said, I am an emotional eater, I have a problem. I need help. And I know that ultimately, you know, practically some healthy swaps will help, help my body in the, in the meantime, how, how would you walk me through helping my soul? Through my finding freedom program, to be honest with you, because that integrates all of it. It gets into where do the behaviors come from? Who do I need to forgive? How do I learn to listen to my body? What do I do going forward? Like it's such a beautiful program and it really gets to the heart of why we have the relationship with food that we do and what do we need to do to change that going forward. Sorry. I'm so sorry. You're right. <laughs> um, okay. So your program tackles this. That's amazing. And that is that an online program that's available to people? I do have it online. Um, I have several different formats because I want it to be accessible and affordable to people. So I do have an online automated kind of do-it-yourself course. Um, I also have the course with some coaching sessions or I do offer it as a one-on-one -on -one coaching package as well. 
Okay, that's great that I that you make it available for different uh, different needs and different budgets. I think that's that does make it super more accessible. So if people wanted to check out your course, where would they go to? Uh, my website is www.free, the number two, the letter B, coaching.com. So free to be coaching.com. Free to be coaching.com. I'm writing that down so I can put that in the show notes so people can find you. And um, and I, I do have some more questions for you, but <laughs> how do people find you to follow you on Instagram or Facebook? Oh, um, Instagram. I'm also at free to be maybe underscore coaching. There's an underscore somewhere in there. I can get that to you for the show notes. Okay. Facebook is I'm um, I go by happy, healthy mama on Facebook. Okay. Happy, healthy mama. Okay. So now I, uh, I'm a little bit familiar with the book made to crave. And I know mm -hmm. that the, the philosophy in her book is that our cravings are a manifestation really of our cravings for the Lord. Um, that probably oversimplifies the message of her book, but that's kind of the gist of it from what I've heard. So how, how does this journey of learning to listen to your body, getting to the root issues of emotional eating, how does this bear the power of impact on their relationship with the Lord? Well, I learned a phrase in my coaching and I, I didn't like it when I first heard it, to be honest with you, but as I've kind of, observed and replaced that judgment with curiosity in my own situation, um, I found it to kind of be true. And it's, they say, how you do one thing is how you do most things. Mm. And so I looked back on my relationship with food and how I was showing up in that. And it was a reflection on how I was showing up in my relationship with myself and my family and the Lord. And I think when you are living in God's will and you are healthy and you are whole and you are free. I think that you are more, I think you, you have, you don't feel the guilt about caring for yourself because you know that you are his, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, spirit and that you're called to steward that well, because I used to fall into the trap of guilt and condemnation and shame and I'm not worth it and I shouldn't do this. But really, that's contrary to the word and what he tells us to do. Like, we are his craftsmanship. Like, he made us. And our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so I think it just kind of brings it full circle when you realize that he desires for us to live healthy lives. You know, I think is it 3 John 2 talks about... Um, Getting going along in health, just as it may be in your soul or something to that effect. Um, but I, I think that God is a holistic God and he cares about our relationship with food because it shows up in, in different ways in our relationships with him and with other people. And he's a relational God. Yeah, that's so true. And I, I'm thinking even as you're talking, I'm thinking of the passage in Corinthians that says all things are permissible, but not everything yes. is beneficial. All things are permissible, but I will be slave to nothing. And, and I feel like that applies in this situation where, where our relationship to food has such a spiritual implication, because if it's mastering me, then that's a voice and that's a, it's a, it's a master in my life that limits my ability to walk in total freedom because I'm serving that instead of serving the spirit of God and being led by the spirit or walking in wisdom in that area. And so do you see that? pulling through? Do you see that concept at the root of a lot of this? 
Absolutely. And I think Daniel's a great example of that, right? Like, I think, wasn't it the king who wanted him to eat a certain way? And he's like, no, I'm not going to disobey God and I'm going to eat the vegetables. And I'm going, I mean, he really was a good example of stewarding his body. And look at what happened with him. Like it had a beautiful outcome because of his obedience. I think it's similar with us, but I think we've missed that along the way. That's so true. And you know, I, um, I, I've gone on a journey of even, even discovering like the power of fasting and how fasting bears an impact spiritually, which I feel like it connects because sometimes I think it's hard for us to see like, how does my appetite for food affect my spirit? Like they're not connected, but the reality is like, it, it actually is so connected and, um, and, and when I was in Bible school, we used to have to fast every other week and it was torture. We hated it. And, um, <laughs> I was like, I had bad breath and everyone was cranky. It was awful. And I <laughs> understood really why fasting was impactful. And so, but I would ask people, I'd be like, okay, I get that fasting is in scripture. I get that Jesus did it. I get that it's valuable, but why is it powerful? And nobody could actually answer that question for me. And so I just would ask the Lord, I was like, God, you've got to help me understand why I need to know why, like, I'm not going to do something just because it's a, a routine, like that's kind of religious, you know, I'm not going to do that. And so the Holy Spirit brought me to, I believe it's either, it's either Romans 14 two or Rom Romans two fourteen. I don't remember which, but I was reading that chapter and the Holy Spirit brought me there one day and I got like nothing out of it the first three times I read the chapter. So I just kept reading. And finally a passage jumped out where it said, Jesus became like man. And then the Holy Spirit stopped me and he said, generally anything after this passage, you have, um, you are entitled to because he became like you. And I said, okay. And then it said, so that by his death, and then the Lord said, how do you die? And I was like, well, yeah, I didn't go to a cross. So, and the Lord, and so I was like, maybe through fasting or through dying to myself. And the Lord was like, ding, ding, ding. And he said, so, so Jesus became like man so that by his death, he would overcome the works of the evil one destroying the power of death. And I'm kind of paraphrasing in my own words, go look it up and you'll see the actual version. But, but the point was the Lord showed me that when we choose to take up death and die to our appetites and die to our carnal nature, whether it's in relationships or in our body, we actually step into a realm of authority spiritually that we didn't possess before because we're choosing to take up death, which actually when Jesus took up death, it gave him resurrection power. And so when we do that, even in choosing to die to my appetites and die to my cravings and die to my personal will, I'm choosing to lay aside this life and take up a higher form of life, which is supernatural. And the Lord was like, when you choose to take up life like that, you are stepping into an authority and anointing to destroy the works of the enemy. And I'm telling you, when I go into fasting, I see miracles. I see, I'll pray for people to find their spouses and they find spouses. It's really crazy. It's happened like a dozen times, um, you know, just all kinds of stuff. And I, and so I engage my faith with that understanding and that revelation. Um, and it helps me to understand then why fasting and why choosing to give up things can have a spiritual implication is it's, it's a choosing death to my appetites and my carnality. And so anyways, that was kind of, that helped me at least to make the association between the two. Well, and how much more powerful would the church be as a whole if it embraced that? Right, 
Right. I mean, we all would. I mean, it totally changed my, it did. It took me to whole new places spiritually and hearing the Lord and, and, um, healings. Like I experienced healing in my body and healing for other people and all this stuff, even just fasting from sugar. Even when I've just fasted from sweets, I've experienced the most miracles and breakthrough just when I fasted from sweets. And so there's, there's something to it that I don't think we naturally make the connection, but when we look at it through the father's eyes, we can kind of see like, wow, he is, he's about all of us, all of us, the whole us. And so I love this. Well, thank you so much for sharing this. And, um, and before I wrap it up, I do love to include a section at the end of like a life hack. which is maybe something that makes your life simpler or has helped you succeed in an area. It can be super simple or something related to this if you want. Um, I'll share one little, one little hack and maybe that'll help get your, get your juices flowing. Uh, for me, I found that when I'm craving sweets and stuff, but I, I want something that's going to satisfy but not be guilty, is I eat frozen cherries. Um, I'll just go get them in the frozen fruit section and, and I've tried, you know, eating grapes or whatever is really great too. But for some reason with the cherries, they're so rich and I have to wait for them to melt a little bit. Oh. I drink the juice afterwards. So it's just delicious. Yes. And <laughs> so, it's full of antioxidants. <laughs> yeah. So it's so good for my body and it actually really takes away my sugar cravings, probably cause it kind of takes a while to get through the bowl, you know, cause it's frozen, but Anyway, so that's my little life hack for substituting desserts. But what about you? Yeah, I think mine, thank you for sharing that because you did inspire something in me. I think mine is to make sure that you're nourishing your body on a regular basis. Because I think when our blood sugar dips low, we don't, we may not acknowledge it, but that's usually when we reach for something because we've gone too long and we're, we're not honoring our hunger and fullness. Um, so just making sure that you're in tune with, am I eating often enough? Cause I see a lot of people doing things like they're not eating for 12 hours and, and that's not healthy necessarily. So just make sure that you are eating often enough to fuel your body and nourish it. Now I know everyone's a little bit different, but is there kind of a, a general window people could kind of gauge for to start with? in terms of like how often to eat. I know for me, I, if I do two hours, it's too soon. Mm -hmm. Usually like three hours. I've tried four hours and that's a little too long for me. Three hours is perfect. Yep. I'm about the same way. Anywhere between like two and a half to four, <laughs> but again, it depends on each person, but I think that's generally pretty fair. Okay. That's great. And then if they need to reach for something, I have found if I'm really thirsty, then I will want to reach for food. But I find that if the thirst is the problem, the food actually won't totally satisfy. And I'll just keep reaching for more food until I remember, oh, maybe I need water. Yeah, yep. absolutely. That's one of the top things I talk about in my sugar workshop is the first step is to make sure you're drinking enough water. Because if you do have that craving, drink some water, wait a few minutes and see if it subsides. That's great. Because I think a lot of times we mistake hunger for hydration. Okay, cool. So last question. When, if someone is finding that they're getting all triggered up emotionally and they are fighting the impulse to go eat some junk, what do you teach them to do in the short term that will kind of help, help create new patterns? I think find something to do. Um, and I think this depends on personality type. Like I have a client I'm working with right now who she's very busy and very active and she needs something to do with her hands. 
So we found something she could do with her hands. Or I have another woman who's like, I need to go for a walk. Another woman needs to go sit in the corner and drink a cup of tea. Like, I think it depends on what you're looking for in the moment. But if you have maybe a menu that you can go to, like, if I need to move, I can do this. If I need to sit, I can do this. If I need to busy my mind, I can play solitaire. Like, have some things that you know you can go to for what you need in that moment. Because it's usually not the food. Right. Okay. That's awesome. Well, my goodness, this has been rich with information and insight. And I really hope that my listeners um, felt like they got some really good impartation from it. But I would encourage you guys, listeners, uh, to go check out Melissa's resources and her website and check her out because I feel like if any of you, if this is like a an area where you're like, I just need some support in this process, Melissa's your gal, and um, and she, of course, is coming from a faith-based position as well, and so I feel like the, the approach is going to be very holistic, and so I just love that, but thank you so much, Melissa, for coming on my show and sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. Of course. Thank you for having me. I love the conversation, so thank you. Absolutely. All right, you guys, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Be sure you share this episode with anyone that you know that may really connect with this topic of emotional eating, and otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. For those of you who've rated or shared this podcast on social media, thank you. Reading your comments and reviews always means so much to me. Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say hey. It's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon, or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Thank you to each of you for your ongoing support. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Until next time, remember, you've got this and God's got you.